Hey everybody, today I'm hanging out with Matt Draper. He is a marine photographer based in Byron Bay, Australia. Definitely recommend checking out some of his work on Instagram or on his website. He takes some of the most insane photos that I've ever seen and he does it on a single breath while free diving in the ocean with 30 foot orcas, uh, mako sharks, whales, rays, all sorts of crazy marine life. Today we're going to talk about how he developed his unique photography style, uh, what it's like free diving with these massive animals, and a whole lot more things. So yeah, here we go. Check it out. Your photography has such a unique style. I instantly, when I see it, I'm, I know it's one of yours, which is pretty hard to do with photography. Like anyone can take one good photo, right? But to take uh, the same style of photo over and over to the point where people recognize it is super impressive. So like, how did you develop your style in photography? Oh, thanks so much for saying that. It makes me feel good about it because I have a lot of, um, you know, sometimes issues with myself when I see people replicating the work and it's just like, I guess any artist is going to see that to an extent. But when you've put so much work into trying to create a style and then you start seeing it mimic a lot, it's hard to fathom but um yeah like I probably the first year I went to Tonga and I was swimming with the whales the water was just like so blue it was almost purple and because everything I had done was from trial and error with my photography I'd never had any you know I'd never been taught or had any credentials or education behind photography I was having a lot of trouble trying to get the the colors right in the water yeah. And I'm actually a little bit colorblind myself. So, um, yeah, so I see really weird things, you know. And um, so I just, one day I was editing this whale image and I just tried a new process and it, you know, it wasn't that black and white people are used to seeing, which is more monochrome. It was that really definitive black and white. Like the whole background I created was black. And, and I was just like, wow, this looks like so cool and different. And I just started really honing that skill a little bit and really applying it to a lot of my images. But instead of applying it through Photoshop, I would I would look for situations where I could make that image just through natural light, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, um, a, lot of, a lot of people were resonating with it because it was kind of showing the animal in such a more kind of like a, just a very natural, undisturbed way, almost like they're kind of, in a studio getting a portrait of a very relaxed state of mind like, for this animal and people just started really liking it. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I just started running with it and then I created what's called the Black Series or Black Series and um, and just traveling all around the world trying to show these animals like in that style. Yeah, I want to get into the Black Series a bit more but one question on that, you mentioned that you don't have any formal photography training you didn't go to school for it and that's something i've thought about a lot uh, once you do go to school to get trained in the in some sort of art whether it's film photography uh, you you kind of learn the rules and you're more likely to stick to the rules so do you think that not getting trained actually helped you develop your style oh big time i mean if i was to go to university to study photography i probably would have not even been out of my time yet, you know. It's only just gone on just over three years since I started or took my first underwater photo. So, you know, I think it's hard because if you want to learn to be the best at something, normally credentials and university is the best way. But what mm -hmm. you hone is obviously 
the skills of the people teaching you and you start being more directed into a way of earning an income rather than um, showing your creativity. Yeah. So like a lot of people probably go to uni with this amazing idea to take the most incredible photos and they, and they probably do but when they come out they're probably more like, oh, you know, I'm probably going to have to go do some portrait or fashion stuff or take some photos of some families first to, to earn the money to do what I want to do. Whereas for me, I always had that construction background. So I was just like, man, I'm just going to run with this photography thing and try to be as different as I can. Exactly. So they're kind of coming out of the program and you go where your efforts go in a way. So if you're taking family portraits to make the money, that's now what you're known for the family portraits, right? So you kind of get steered in the way in where you spend your time. Definitely for sure. Pigeonhole. And I guess people, you know, creative people, probably lose a lot of amazing energy when that you know they find themselves after three years just earning good money doing something that they weren't really meant to be doing does that make sense you know like totally no i'm with you on that yeah. uh and can you give a bit more info on what the black series is uh, for people that haven't seen it yet um so it's a compilation of images of different pelagic animals, so humpback whales, whale calves. I recently just photographed orca, which some people spend 10 to 15 years looking for. And I had this incredible chance encounter in Mexico. I'd actually gone there for it, but knowing that the person who was taking me there had only seen them once before, and it was a year before this date to the exact week. Wow. So um, the intention were to get the orca, but obviously it was like a needle in a haystack and I ended up photographing 10 transient mammal eaters, which means they can't be found in any one place at the same time and they live off other mammals like humpback whale calves and things like that. So they're the ultimate predator on this planet. So you just hop in the water with them? Are you, are you scuba diving or are you free diving? Like all of the images you've seen, everything I've taken has all been free diving. So um, the orca, it was just amazing, man. Like the the bull, so there are two males, two bulls, and they would have been about uh, 30 feet long, yeah. so close, close to 10 meters. Yeah. And um, one of the males had three calves with him, and then there were probably four or five female adults on the other side. And, you know, I'd never swum with an orca before, and very – few people in the world have with big transient mammal eaters so it's hard to kind of jump in with you know pre-existing knowledge to to be as safe as I can so I you know I I wanted to jump in straight away but then I just I've never had so much respect for an animal in my life when I saw how big they were and just how smart and it took me probably about 40 minutes to build the courage up and then to get in you know the safest way possible and we ended up having them for maybe two and a half hours by the boat and it was just, oh, it was unreal, man. I got out probably after about 15 minutes. I just felt like, no, that was enough. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's more than it. enough. Got some, there's some big teeth, you know, like, you know, they're well, just so smart and the way they look at you and, and you know, there's no kind of history of an orca in the wild ever hurting yeah. a human. But, but then but there's still, you just got to... There's also no yeah, no history of uh, or very little history of people actually diving with them too, right? That's so you're, so true. you're pushing yeah. the limits a little bit with that. And my good friend Steve Hathaway, he's like the orca master in New Zealand. He's got you know some of the first footage ever in the world. I think the first footage of them hunting stingrays, and 
and he agrees, you know, it's like, yeah, there's no related cases, but not many people have done what we've done, so you don't want to be the first. <laughs> but I, I don't want to put that fear out to anyone at all, but it's no, just no. Having, having that mutual respect and trying to do it to your best abilities. You know, everyone sees the images and they're like, man, I want to jump in with sharks or orcas or this and that. And it's really cool and that they're changing that fear to fascination, but you also got to have a bit of respect and, and um, know that, most of these people are professional, you know. Yeah, no, I totally get it. Uh, I personally, I was out on a boat recently, and I've been in the ocean my whole life. I grew up around the ocean in Sydney and New Zealand, and I always thought that I would enjoy swimming with sharks. But when you're out there and there's no soundtrack, there's no Avicii playing in the background, it's just cold, overcast, the water's gloomy. <laughs> it's not, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot more real. So, I have a Definitely. huge respect for that. Were you were you always comfortable swimming with them, or how did you get up to this level? Yeah, I think that's the problem with social media to an extent is all the good that we're doing and the positive, you know, change that we're making. We're also creating a bit of a a hype about people thinking they can get in with these huge animals. So um, at the very start, I just was very gun ho about things, and I'd jump in and just. It was always looking through the camera and not really in the moment. So I kind of learnt freediving and photography at the same time. So I was never a good freediver that respected big animals that learnt how to to kind of look through the camera. It was always like learning both these things at the same time. So I was kind of took the approach that it'll be all right, you know. But um, after about a year, I started connecting with, you know, I knew to further my career, I had to start working with the people that are the very best in their industry. So that meant going to Hawaii to hang out with like the people that are the best, you know, tiger shark researchers like Ocean Ramsey and Juan. Yeah. And then I made very good friends with Riley Elliott, who's like one of the world's leading shark scientists. He's based in New Zealand and he's studying Makos and Blues and and he got me over to New Zealand and really showed me a lot, especially with Mako sharks. I just so intense they're crazy and and there's very little people that have free dived with multiple um makos and recently i went over and riley and i had about eight of them around us and it was such a crazy situation i kind of went into it like you know i've got three years of solid animal kind of interactions now i think i'm ready for this and yeah and like i just got schooled uh, you know like i wasn't out of my comfort zone but just riley's been doing it for 10 years and i really learned just so much in that one interaction that kind of changed my whole life and and it was yeah it's just like a lot of <laughs> i don't focus looking through the camera so much anymore it's always about the animal first and then when i have the time i'll I'll capture the image. We talked to Riley a little bit. We were looking at shooting a video with him and Hex Aquatic. Uh, and oh, cool. I've seen some of his videos on YouTube. And to be honest, I, I don't think I could get in the water with him. He's just so <laughs> oh, confident when he's down there. He, he wouldn't let you, honestly. He's like yeah. he's he's pretty onto it, dude. He's very professional. Like him and I are on the Hex team and, and you know, we just did a big trip together. Riley and I was spent about a month together in Hawaii and then we did this about a week with the Makos in New Zealand and then we went to Norfolk Island and some with some of the largest tiger sharks in the world. So we've gone back to back in a lot of situations and um and for him to take someone into a, a scenario with multiple Makos, like 
he's going to have your back, but he also needs someone to have his back, you know, yeah. because, and that's where we, we've started to click. Like, um, you know, he started to understand a bit more or trust me a little bit more and have a bit more faith. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a really cool learning curve. And that, yeah, that's why he's the best, I guess. He's got he is, a yeah. Huge he knows respect. he's the best, though, so don't tell him that. Yeah, I won't. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep that to us. But uh, <laughs> yeah. for, uh, Can you explain... Uh, for people that don't know a bit about the hex aquatic technology with the, all the Faraday cage and stuff like that, yeah. So um, I'm sponsored by a wetsuit company, and I think just to touch on sponsorship, a lot of people when they come into an industry and they start acquiring sponsors, it's it's all about saying you're sponsored or or just getting that product. And you know, I think it's very important to get something that you're going to utilize or it's going to benefit you immensely in your trade and and um, I was sponsored by XL wetsuits for a long time and they were so good to me and there's no reason to change and then when I was in Hawaii Riley bought one of the hex over for me to, to try and he explained that you know this wetsuit has got the same technology as a microwave door which is a Faraday cage which um, you know essentially it blocks any electrical output that your muscles make so when you move your body creates its own electricity to an extent and it can be picked up by sharks, rays, lobsters through their electroreceptors. Um, and, you know, I was just like, wow, this is, I don't really believe it. <laughs> so essentially it allows spear fishermen to get closer to their prey and photographers to get closer to their subjects. So I wore this wetsuit for nearly a month straight in Hawaii with sharks and I've been diving with these same sharks like every single day so they start to get to know you and you have to do things to let these sharks get closer because you start kind of asserting your dominance and they start to get to know you. They don't really want to hang around you anymore and once I put this wetsuit on I was literally getting so much closer to the animal especially from behind when they're not relying on their eyes, they're relying on their other senses and I was getting so close to the tail that my fish eye on my camera couldn't focus, you know, like it's pretty much on top of the shark. And, um, yeah, from there that sponsorship just grew into becoming a team member and, and taking the wetsuit around the world and trying it with various animals. And it's, I mean, the science behind it 100% works. Like um, some people have had incredible interactions, some people haven't, but I believe they're literally the best suit on the market for what I'm doing. You know, it's a tool. For sure. Uh, yeah. So in my limited knowledge of shark activity, from what I understand, if someone is getting attacked and they're on a surfboard, which, by the way, I know is very rare, uh, is it because so the surfboard from below, you kind of look like a seal, and then you have your wrists and possibly your feet hanging in the water. So the shark sees this large mass, which could be a seal or something like that. And it has a pretty weak pulse because your heart is being blocked by the board and just your wrists and feet are producing a really light heartbeat. So it says this might be something that I could eat pretty easily. Is that true or is that completely wrong? Yeah, I think a lot of people touching on that think like that they can wear a hex wetsuit and it's going to shield them from a possible unwanted interaction on a surfboard or something like that. But and, and like you explained then or asked, is a unwanted interaction or an attack, is it caused by those um, those faint heartbeats? But I think it's more 
Well, and I can't back this up because I'm not the right person to ask. Like, but just from my own knowledge, I think it's more the shark is starting to it's getting hindered on its other senses. So it's normally it will be a very murky day, or um, you know, so the the sharks probably sense something and come right in, and then it, it can't see very well anymore. Yeah. So there's always like a, a, a an explanation behind it. Some sometimes there isn't, but um. You know, a lot of the time in Australia, it's after a, a big rainfall or someone's surfing by a river mouth or it's the lunar activity is big or the the calfing whale season's just started or the person's out there by themselves or there's so many different kind of things that we can take into consideration. But um, I think just the education behind being in the water is not there. So instead of focusing on you know why the shark did what it did it's just the shark has been the shark the real question should be like why was the person surfing under those circumstances a lot of the time yeah so the signs are all there but when it comes to learning about the ocean it seems like it's pretty black and white in our our culture either your parents are afraid of the ocean they say yeah don't go in or they're just very chill about it and they say go in and you don't actually know uh, kind of what's going on the patterns to recognize so you have a little bit of an involvement with the city shepherd or at least you donate some of your profits towards their cause uh what yeah what are you working on with them yeah um i just thought you know it was time to kind of start supporting people that are on the front line a lot because you know i always looked at these people and really wanted to be part of it but I think I've just found my journey, which is showing the beauty in the ocean and and trying to foster love for it. And and I just like take my hat off to the people that are kind of seeing the negative sides every day and really trying to to work on that. So I just thought of Sea Shepherd as being one of the main active conservation groups, among many others that are just always pushing the boundaries and pushing forward. And I just decided that I wanted to donate 10% of my proceeds to them, even though <laughs> like it's sometimes I'm like, man, I need that money. But it, um, I think it's just the right thing to do. And it, it also, you know, it took a lot of time and consideration to choosing an organization. And I just thought I'd try to do one every year and Sea Shepherd being the first. So That's there's awesome. nothing else really behind it. You know, I'd love to be involved in some of their talks and things like that or invite them to some of my shows but at that stage it's just like a yeah it's just something that I, I really wanted to do and is the majority of your uh, career funded through your prints if you don't mind me asking or yeah like that's the direction I've, I've wanted to head right from when I took like a few definitive photos in Tonga and I was like wow I think I really want to try create fine art and and as a photographer, nearly any photographer will agree, I think, when you see your photos printed, like there's nothing better. Like to see them just in, you know, everyone's so used to seeing digital these days, but when you have it on paper or cotton rag or a, a different medium as such, like it's just so humbling to see your work printed. And for me, I just, that was always going to be the kind of the journey I traveled. It was just about how I was going to do it. So from the very early stages, a lot of people were going to markets or making calendars or little postcards and I really held off doing that to try keep my images a bit more limited yeah. until I kind of created a name and then I was like, all right, it's time to start releasing some of these and 
And, um, you know, like a, I, I recently did an assignment on the Great Barrier Reef and I wanted to work with Steve Hathaway for a long time from New Zealand and, you know, like to, to do a proper paid job where you're filming and you're working with the crew and all of that. And I've, I've done lots of similar ones but never like a full full-on week of hard work and, and I did it and I was like, man, like <laughs> this is just so full on. Like I'm just so much happier doing my prints and just running my own race and, you know, like um, that, that's definitely where my income is coming from and where I want it to keep coming from. Like uh, I don't ever want to get into the rut I was in in construction where I feel like I'm doing another job. Yeah. I just want to keep kind of being creative and – and selling the artwork, so I'm, I'm really focused on that. But yeah, it was really hard at the start to get those um, those prints out there. Yeah, do you have temptations now and then? I mean, I'm sure there's ways you could be making even more money uh, through your photography, but uh, oh, big time. I mean, yeah, like um, yeah, there's there's heaps of times I think of just like creating merchandise and things like that, but it's. I never really got into this whole thing for money. I was earning good money in construction and then I went to earning nothing because I wanted to live like a bit more of a fulfilling, purposeful life. So I think the the foundation of what I've created was always there from the start. And if it was super mon- money orientated, I probably wouldn't have got to where I am organically. Mm-hmm. I would have probably just like sold myself to the devil a bit more. So, um, you know, even when prints come in now, I have a request for a print that I've um, out of, you know, I've, I've printed all the limited numbers of and someone will be like, hey, is this available? And, you know, they'll offer me more money for it. I'm just like, nah, it's not, you know, like I'm just sticking to the rules of what I started. Yep. That's a long-term plan. How many runs of each photo will you do? Um, well, the Black Series, because the Black Series started when I was, you know, right at the start of it. It was the first kind of lot I did. So I've none of them are numbered, but they are limited to an extent. But so each image of those is printed no more than fifty times. Some of them a lot less, mm-hmm. but they're, they're not numbered on the actual paper. But then I do one of ones. I do one of eights, and then this new series called Incognito. That most of them will be one of eight. So and I guess it keeps you. Uh, needing and hungry to go out there and shoot more, right? Yeah, and it's it's kind of I want to create an investment for people that have supported me from the start. So if someone can buy a print, you know, two years ago at X amount of dollars, and now they see the same print three or four times as much, then you know they were doing a an amazingly amazing thing at the start, supporting me at such an early time in my career, and now they've got something that's potentially worth four, four times what they paid. So it's kind of giving back in a way. Exactly. That's pretty cool. But, um, a, a client, she bought a print off me three years ago and I think it was nearly $150 for my largest size and she bought one a year after that. It had gone up to about three or 400 and I felt bad. I was like, oh, hey, like, you know, the same price as this, the same size as this now, but I'm happy to kind of give you the price I first gave you and she's like no no she schooled me she's like you know Matt it's all good like your work's growing and I just see it as now I have two prints for this price and then she came to me last year and I was like it's over a thousand dollars now and she was just like that's fine like I'm happy to support and I think 
when you know your own worth, it's when you can start making good money because a lot of people get really timid about talking about money and prices and things like that and they're too scared to, to say, hey, I just jumped on a plane and spent two weeks in Tonga and 10 grand trying to take a photo of a humpback calf suckling from its mother, you know, <laughs> and, and you try to sell one of these eight editions for $4,000 and someone might question you and it's just, I think people need to have confidence in their work and just put their foot down and just be like, hey man, like, first of all, show me another photograph that looks like this and second of all, do you think you could go and get the same image on $4,000, you know, it's still a yeah. fraction of what it costs me to do. So. Oh, I love it. And when you go out on a mission like that, are you putting a lot on the line in terms of finances? Are you really, are you risking a lot? Yeah. Yeah. yeah like I've always like this whole journey has been on the shoestring, you know, like I'll spend everything I have to go on a trip and then I'll come back and try and make that back. So, but it's cool. It makes you strive a lot more. You know, if I was just sitting in a, behind a desk at a gallery earning five grand a day, I'd just be like, man, this is easy. I'm just going to fly anywhere and get photos of anything. But when I'm spending like the money I have, I'm really thinking the destination, the people I can connect with, like that migration of that animal, the behavior that people have seen around this time of the year. And, and last year, that's what I really wanted to get was a humpback calf suckling from its mother. And it's been photographed quite a lot of times, but most of those images are taken from the back where the ph photographer is almost chasing the whales and you can see the flukes, which is the, the tail fins, and they're almost swimming away. But I photographed in pretty much a never-before-seen position before where the mother is completely asleep with her head down, tail up, so vertically, and then the calf came in sideways with its pectoral fins completely out like a almost like a, a plane banking sideways and it's suckling from the mother and it's it's an image I've never ever shared on social media and it, it never will be shared and I've just you know I, I know quite a lot about the humpbacks in Tonga now just from spending most seasons there and um you know it, it's just something that you see while you're there these calves are very new so they're suckling from their mother it's just about getting in and seeing them in a relaxed manner and I knew I was going to get it one day it's just I wasn't sure when and I just wanted to make sure it was very different and, and it was just like one of the last days of the tour and and yeah, yeah we just all came together it just happened it just yeah like we're interacting with this tiny calf and it was super inquisitive and very confident it was coming right up to the camera and it was just crazy and it was kind of circling us for about 30 minutes and the mother was just below kind of watching and resting and coming up every now and then to take a breath of air and it just it almost felt like the calf started getting really grumpy and just <laughs> sick of us and I was just like all right everyone it's time to get out of the water you know I think the calf you know he started diving down to its mother and hanging out with its mum a bit more and it was literally like thinking about it now it must have just been getting tired and hungry and grumpy and so as we were swimming back to the boat and I looked down underwater once more and I saw everything unfolding I was just like oh my god it's suckling like yeah not only does all that have to align but you're you mentioned you do all of this on one breath yeah so there's a chance that you're you're at the surface when the actual moment's happening right oh big time and it's so hard to enjoy it and get your camera right and get the photo at the same time so it's just like <laughs> you know I, sometimes I look like a bit of a 
a bloody rodeo yeah, cowboy yeah. or something underwater just <laughs> trying Freaking to get the out. shot. But, yeah, but I knew what I when, – when something like that happens in front of me, like I know how quickly it could all change. So I just have it dialed in so quickly, you know. Like that's something that I've kind of praised myself on is in the moment being very quick to react and notice something is different and, and to capture it. Yeah. And what what's your average kind of breath hold time? I'm sure it varies depending on the situation, but I, I try to work around at least two to two and a half minutes working underwater because the more time you hang out underwater, the more surface interval you need to have, which means yeah. if I go down for two minutes, I need to come up for around six just yeah. to make sure I'm I'm safe and I don't shallow water blackout. So there's no point going down for three minutes at a time if I can look at the animal from the surface, look at its behavior, look at the direction it's moving, get my camera settings correct and then go down in a with the best technique I can and spend 30 seconds. That means I can dive back down again in one and a half minutes time. Yeah, there's a so, diminishing return, I guess, with uh, yeah, being under big time. Yeah, and-, and, and I do push it a lot of the time. Like Sometimes I'll just be like, you know, if something crazy is going on, I'm down, 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 down. Then I'm just like, all right, it's time to chill out now. <laughs> Do you use any breathing techniques specifically? I, I've messed around a little bit with the Wim Hof and stuff like that. Is there anything you do? I find just like apnea and relaxation. So I'll just try to calm myself as much as I can and then do probably a series of eight really nice deep breaths to get my heart rate down. Then I'll do probably four breathe ups and then hold my breath on that fourth one and go down. So it's Everyone has their own technique. A lot of people hyperventilate themselves, which is very dangerous, but they do get a, a longer breath hold on it. Yeah, but, that's um, me. Probably yeah. not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, you should be very careful with yeah, that. But, yeah, I'm, um, I'm not educated to tell people the science behind freediving and, and what is wrong or right, but I think it's just just you know in yourself what's safe and what's not to an extent. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it's not natural to... Uh, find a breathing technique that extends your breath hold by two minutes just randomly so maybe <laughs> use caution before <laughs> messing around with that but uh, yeah, for a young photographer let's say they're grade 12 and they're just just about to graduate high school and they want to be a photographer what if it was you what would you do in the current environment I mean you have Instagram it's kind of cheapened photography and made it really hard to stand out uh, what would you recommend that they do I mean, my recommendation would probably be probably getting a part-time job to start off with and so you've got a little bit of income to do what you need to do if you need to move out of home or get some food behind you and things like that and then just start playing around, you know, trial and error and 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 learning from the best people that you admire and emailing them and saying, how did you go about it? And, you know, my advice is completely different to someone else's advice, but it's yeah. about can getting all of that together and kind of making your best decision. But for me, like I just bought a camera in an underwater housing and and three years' time I'm here, but that's been so much hard work and, and like so much resistance that I was always kind of working against like in my own mind, like telling myself I can't do it. And I never went into this knowing I was going to photograph animals. It went from taking photos of surfers to to – uh, females underwater to like to turtles to pelagic animals so that's all happen and 
a very fast time but only because I've just been so hard on myself like every day I've been like really trying to make it work so you know if I went to university to study for it I'd probably have a lot of skills that I don't have now and, and maybe you know the the thing that people don't see like from the outside looking in people see that I'm killing it but they still don't see all the rough ends and I'm still struggling which is like working on my website daily, you know, all the emails, editing, things like that. And they're probably things that people would learn how to manage better in university. So yeah, for sure. Um, it's really hard for me to give like, I, I want to tell people just go out and do it, you know, listen to that voice and, and worry about the money later. Exactly. And then staying, so staying level headed uh, <laughs> through the ups and downs. So yeah, exactly. while, while you're, while you're broke, keep working hard. When, yeah. when you start making money, if that day comes, keep working hard. Just don't, yeah. don't change yeah. your work. And, and that's what is good about social media now. It has cheapened a lot of it, which is negative. But, you know, I got I became who I am now through Instagram pretty much. But people see my work and, and me fast-tracking, getting my name out there because I created a style that most people weren't seen at the time. A lot of people are doing it now, but... And I like what you said at the start, and then it kind of went full circle to now, uh, lowering the pressure on your art by having a second income doing something else like you did with carpentry, which I think yeah. is so important. <clears throat> so you're not selling yourself in a way yeah. that you don't want to be portrayed in your art. Like, exactly. I think strategically, if you wanted to be an artist, you would you'd just get a, a consistent job and then make the time for your art rather trying to compile the two at the same time exactly yeah. and i think you know and and you'll be kind of you'll be ahead of the pack already because a lot of people go into school for arts and they come out four years later and they're just like wow like i know so much but i don't even know how i'm going to get a job because they're looking for a position that needs to be created for them rather than creating their own position where, yeah. which is what i've done i've created my own thing Mm -hmm. right from the start till now I, I know it. i've given birth to this i manage it whereas if you've done all this incredible tuition and then you come out of it you're looking for a position that's already been created so it's never going to fit you personally yeah the the method that you did it you were getting constant real world feedback to if it's working and that came in the form of people buying your prints or people not buying your prints, yeah. right? Versus yeah. going to school. I had a lot of hate along the way as well. So Really? From from who? Oh, it's just social media, you know, like people um, that opinionate about animals and interacting with them and behaving with them, people just from behind the computer, other photographers that, you know, probably want to be doing what I was doing or not quite doing what they want to be doing. And, and it's just funny, like at the, at the start it used to really take a toll on me and now I'm just like oh cool you know if, if you're doing something right if you've got a couple of haters <laughs> how how did that mind shift occur like did you take it pretty strongly just at confidence the start? confidence yourself. yeah yeah I think the more confidence you have and that's what people are never encouraged to have these days it's like people see confidence as arrogance and yeah. and you're you're more likely to get friends by saying oh I don't like this about myself and you're more likely to push others away when you stand up and have your shoulders back and you're like, nah, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. And I believe myself. And and when you start doing power moves for yourself or or creating a tribe around you where everyone mm -hmm. is operating on a higher level and they don't see you as a threat, they just see you as a successful friend, then like 
man, you're just like, you'll go forward just so much quicker. And that's what I found coming back from this trip to LA. I just met all these incredible people that are doing amazing things. And from the outside looking in, you think a celebrity or a, a singer or a movie star has just got it so sweet, but they work so hard and, yeah. and kind of been surrounded by some of those people. You just realize, you know, like, it's. I remember one of my friends saying to me, "It's better to be the tail of the tiger than the head of the rat." So, <sighs> you know, if you're surround, if you're the, if you're kind of achieving the most about who you're surrounding by, it's hard to keep pushing forward. But when you become the tail of the tiger and you're surrounded by people that are just like, wow, you know, you're looking up to them every day, that that helps you succeed as well. Totally. I know. I couldn't agree more with that. The people that are sending the hate out there uh it's something internal it's because the people oh. the people that are doing stuff just don't have time for that definitely like the emptiest can rattles the most and and um yeah it's just like I, i've learned so much about myself in the last six months like you know mentally kind of like i think the things that you're disliking people are just the holes in yourself and when you start yeah. patching them up you just really start attracting the right people and it's taken me nearly 31 years to realize that I'm quite a, a lone person, like a mm. lone wolf and, and and was quick to judge at times but just, you know, coming out of the carpentry industry into into a creative side and meeting some of these people, they're just overachieving. It's just like, wow, you know, like these people are just blowing my mind every day. <laughs> and how, how do you <clears throat> distinguish the difference between taking criticism from someone that might actually have a valid point because you can't just shut yourself off completely because that creates Kanye West. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so yeah. how, how do you know who to listen to? Yeah, I guess you can look at the person giving you feedback about certain things they've achieved or what their credentials are or, or, or what their stance is just on, on life. And, and then you can also really sleep on the re reaction that you had when you heard that. So if someone told you something that really kind of got you in the heart, mm. you know, and you felt down about your work, then maybe it wasn't the best thing to listen to. But if you went home and thought about it with your brain and go, actually, well, maybe if I did listen to this, I, I could have done this. And then I think you know in yourself by your own reaction how it's it's touched you. That's a good point. Like, um, you know, one of the first photos for Incognito, which is my new series, I sent to a friend last night. It was in the portrait style, so uh, landscape style. Sorry, you know, so yep. the longest edge across the width of it and horizontal, the, the shorter edge. Yeah, correct. Yeah, there we go. That's easier. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she sent me a message back, and she goes, "I love it." And she screenshot it and put it into portrait style, and she's like, "It's just got so much more depth like this." And I was like holy i just got school and i went back onto <laughs> photoshop and i created it into portrait and i was like it actually looks so much better like thank you for the advice so i think it's another reflection of your confidence if, if you're willing to let people you know you can't ask for advice and when someone gives it to you shut it down yeah yeah so it's, it's always good to stick with your style like you know someone can't tell me something about the black series you know oh why don't you do this with color and then i'd be like well that's not the point <laughs> but, but if someone says oh that's a cool kind of composed like this or this then i'm like oh wow like thank you <laughs> yeah now i could see you going to hollywood with the black series and it's like it would be great <laughs> but we're gonna turn the vibrance up to 100 <laughs> percent. 
this isn't gonna sell yeah this is not gonna make us money i'm sorry yeah yeah exactly well thanks for coming on the show today matt that was super fun we finally got to connect i'll have to link up next time i'm down in new zealand thanks ryan i appreciate it cheers for having me and you know like you contacted me over a month ago and it was such a hectic time in my life and it's amazing that we can talk you know, in such different time zones. Well, it must be 6 p.m. there now and it's 9 a.m. here, so it's great. Thank cool. you very much. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Cheers for having me, bro. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. You can check out Matt's work on Instagram, Facebook, or his website. So that's Matt Draper Photography, M-A-T-T-D-R-A-P-E-R Photography. You can just plug that into Google or Bing or whatever you use. If you enjoyed the episode, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. And if you hated it, you can unsubscribe and leave a review as well. Anyways, thanks for listening. See ya.